0: Welcome, folks, to the podcast today for May 20th, 2016. There's a thing that happens whenever I see an X-Men film. This happened with Days of Past. I'm pretty sure it happened with First Class as well, where once I watch one X-Men film, I, for some reason, want to watch every single one of them, then watch cartoons, then even look into reading comics, but I never read comics, so I don't end up reading the comics. So that has happened again. I literally can't help myself. I just start watching X-Men things. It's inevitable when I watch an X-Men thing. I like the X-Men. It goes right to the cartoon, you see. When I was a a youngin, a young boy in the 90s, there were two particular cartoons. I wasn't really... uh, like People like the Iron Man cartoon and there was a Fantastic Four cartoon as well, but I never really got into those. My two 90s cartoons were X-Men and Spider-Man. Those two cartoons formed the superheroes I like. If you asked me to name my two favourite superheroes, it would probably be Wolverine and Spider-Man, or by extension X-Men and Spider-Man, because of that cartoon. So anytime I'm like, I like the X-Men, I'm going to go do some X-Men stuff. I'll break out Marvel Ultimate Alliance. I'll break out the X-Men Origins Wolverine game, which is actually better than the film. It's actually a really good film tying game, which is extraordinarily rare. I will break out, I have the Cerebral Collection, which is all of the DVDs on Blu-ray. I will eventually get Apocalypse on Blu-ray, because who doesn't need all the X-Men films on Blu-ray? Blu-ray? This is not a promotion for Blu-ray. But, <laughs> so I figured, if I'm going to be watching the X-Men films and I've already reviewed two of the X-Men films, one by chance, one by design. I might as well spend the rest of the week and some of next week reviewing all of the X-Men films. (laughs) So that is what podcast today will be for the next um, two, three, two prequels, days of which pass, next five days, will be me reviewing each X-Men film one by one. I'm sure that's exciting for all of you who love X-Men. I'm sure it's not very exciting for all of you who don't love X-Men. Also, slight programming note, due to the nature in which I'm taping these episodes, there will be no poker wrap. I'm sure you're devastated. I'm devastated. There won't be any Poker up until the end of these X-Men episodes. Because I'm taping them all within a day or two of each other. And that's kind of cheating. I'd, I'd basically get to the same place. So I, I want a few days to, to go over my Poker wrap skills. Because <laughs> God knows the first few days haven't gone so well. Though yesterday's went okay. I nearly got halfway yesterday before I bottled it. So as you might have guessed, I reviewed X-Men earlier this week. I reviewed X-Men Apocalypse earlier this week. So the natural place to go next is X-Men 2. The 2003 film, directed once again by Brian Singer, he directed X-Men 1, 2, and then the two most recent, handed off the series, he actually did the story for First Class as well, so he was involved in First Class and produced it. So the good X-Men films are the ones that have Brian Singer involved in some capacity, and the bad X-Men films are, are the ones that don't. Though some of the X-Men films that don't, are they're not terrible, particularly with the second Wolverine film. I like the second Wolverine film, but I'll get to that when I'm talking about the second Wolverine film, won't I? Whereas today, X-Men 2. The first film was a critical and commercial success. It made $300 million off a $75 million budget, and the sequel, Made 100 or 407 off of 110 million, which is quadrupling their money rather than more or less tripling it, which is what they did the first time. So it was more successful than the first. It did make more money than the first in nominal terms. The same cast reprised the, their roles for the most part Stuart, McKellen, Jackman, Barry, Jansen, Marsden, Allback. Alan Cumming uh, was introduced to play Nightcrawler. Brian Cox was introduced to play William Stryker, who has a role in the prequel films as well. Well, Brian Cox doesn't, but the character William Stryker does. He has a fairly considerable role because he's the person who created Wolverine. So, of course, he has a considerable role in prequel trilogies when we're dipping in and out of Wolverine's origin story. because the prequel trilogies don't really tell Wolverine's origin story because they did that in a film relatively poorly, but the, the, the Foucault films kind of bounce around the period where Wolverine is made into Wolverine, or a claw slashy slashy adamantium Wolverine, rather than bone claw, just healing factor Wolverine. The bone claws are creepy. He has them days of future past, and bone claws are objectively creepy. Steel claw, or adamantium claws, they're not steel, are much better. The plot this time is that Striker is trying to eliminate all of the mutants. Pretty straightforward. <laughs> it's more tying into Wolverine's past than bringing Wolverine's Story along a little more. It's it's more of a Wolverine film than it is anyone else. Well, actually, it's a it's a Wolverine slash Jean Grey film more than anything else. Which is to a large degree what the first three X Men films and even a lot of the other ones as well have built around the story of like Wolverine and his how he lost his memories and gained adamantium, and how he's trying to find out what happened to him and Jean Grey and her emerging extraordinary superpowers. Which it's just like I'm a slightly less powerful version of. Professor X. But wait, no. I'm actually more powerful than any mutant known to man. That's the the Jean Grey story with the Phoenix thing. This film kind of sets up the the following film, the Last Stand, which goes kind of deeper into the the Phoenix saga. She she kind of becomes the Phoenix at the end of this film. It's it is a really good film. It's a surprisingly kind of quiet film. Not quiet in the sense that there's not action, but quiet in the sense that it's it's grounded on a a relatively personal level. They don't like, go into big-scale battles with large armies or cities that, that are under siege or any of that stuff. A lot of the film is set either in the mansion, in Iceman's house, <laughs> or in an underground fort. And most of the kind of action scenes are are kept relatively grounded. There's the siege on the X-Mansion, which is a joke in in Deadpool. It's one of the better jokes in Deadpool when he goes to the the X-Mansion. He's like, hey, isn't this place blown up every couple of years? And it's blown up in Apocalypse too. And once again, that's in trailers, so it's not a spoiler. And it's it's not blown up in this film, but it is under siege. People (laughs) break into the house and invade it. (laughs) Because they can't have an X-Men film without the X-Mansion being either blown up or invaded. That's just part of the X-Men lore. And that scene is really good where, where they're sneaking into the house and Wolverine is just like, Oh, something going on, Wolverine. And he slashes a bunch of people. He said, the next Wolverine film, actually, in 2017, is going to be Rated R, which I think some people might groan at. It's like, oh, it's just a reaction to Deadpool. But I think Rated R works for Wolverine better than it might even for Deadpool, because one, more colourful language. Because Wolverine, he can say more than Bob now. <laughs> and two a lot more slashy-slashy. If you've seen the rated-or cut of The Wolverine, the, the the kind of second Wolverine standalone film, it has a lot more slashy-slashy because slashy it's just a lot of blood. <laughs> well, actually, there is a similar amount of slashy-slashy. It's just the slashy-slashy induces an awful lot more blood. This, this film also has the John Oddman x-men theme the traditional x-men film universe theme as opposed to the television theme as i said that television show is is formative of my superhero experiences so i have a great deal of time for that show and it's amazing theme song but the x-men film universe theme song which is in this film days of future past and apocalypse that's a good theme song especially over a title sequence and they do their kind of mutant dna title sequence and apocalypse kind of as an egyptian theme title sequence as well and it's, it's cool it's a good theme song has that kind of punch you want out of a theme song. That's what annoyed me about the second Avengers film. Because the first Avengers film has a really, really good theme song. And then the second Avengers film decides to come up with their own theme song. And there's the scene in the second Avengers film where they're in a circle and they're fighting. And that's when the first Avengers theme song should kick in. And it would work a lot better if that theme song did kick in. But it didn't. They used the new one and I didn't like it. Magneto is a me as usual, in this film, where he is kind of working along with the X-Men until toward the end, where Stryker's plan to kill all the mutants is to use Cerebro and have Professor X do tricks with mind powers, or, well, with his son's mind powers, to try and kill all the mutants. But then Magneto stops that and instead gets Professor X to start killing all the humans instead. Because <laughs> that's the kind of thing Magneto would do. He's your friend until he isn't. There's an awesome scene in this film where Magneto is breaking out of jail. Just like in Days of Future Past where they have him buried underground in a glassless cell. Or glassless prison where all of the guards have like glass batons and there's no metal inside. This is another one of those plasticky metal, the glassy prisons where there's no metal and he's kind of suspended. And there's a bridge that he can't get to get across because it's not made out of metal. So Mystique transforms into a a, a very attractive lady, distracts one of the guards, increases the amount of iron in his blood, and then when he goes to feed Magneto the next day, Magneto plucks. The iron out of that man's blood turns it into little iron balls and kills everybody in sight, and also turns them into these little platforms to walk across the, the gap that he couldn't get across. And it's so badass. It's just like, yep, I'm Magneto and I'm a badass. You try to get no metal to me, but metal comes and I'll murder you all! Because Magneto's a badass. Also, a, a complex, mature villain who's kind of everyone's friend, but then not your friend, and then he'll kill you. He kind of does that. Also, can go without mentioning the opening scene where Nightcrawler is breaking into the White House, because Nightcrawler is an underrated mutant, an underrated X-Men, he has some some good stuff in Apocalypse as well, but that scene where he's kind of zipping and, and teleporting in and out and it's brilliantly shot, or it's, it's kind of slow-mo but it's not obnoxiously in slow motion, where, where he's just zipping in and out, dodging people, killing them, and all you can see is like his, his puffs of smoke and he appears for a moment, dodges bullets, kills somebody what doesn't kill anybody he beats them up and he's trying to assassinate the president because why not <laughs> this film does focus on the usual kind of x-men themes trust between humans and mutants and people hating mutants and wanting to kill mutants though striker is a little more motivated by his, his son's mutant powers because his son plays a role in this film, his son is the person trying to trick Professor X into killing all the mutants, because his son is kind of in a wheelchair and has mind powers, and there has a history with Professor X in the school, and yeah, it's, it's the usual X-Men fare for a plot, but it works, and it's small scale, and it's good fun. It's interesting how a lot of the the kind of main X-Men characters, well, not main, but the, the likes of, you can say, Kelsey Grammer's Beast, and Ellen Page's um, Kitty Pryde, they, they don't actually come into the... The, the third film. I'm pretty sure A Kitty Pryde is in this film, or at least someone who is supposed to be her. She, she doesn't have a major role, she runs through some walls, and it's not Ellen Page. But it's interesting how those characters are at least featured in Days of Future Past, but they're from the film that nobody likes, <laughs> and the film that I will cover tomorrow. But that's X-Men 2. A really good film about teens and mutants and kind of outcasts and, and it can connect with a number of people on a number of levels. That's why X-Men films are actually quite good, and uh, on a kind of thematic level, they're more mature than the Marvel films, though some of the more recent Marvel films have been at least trying to to tackle more interesting issues, particularly the Captain America films, because hashtag Team Cap. Tomorrow I will talk about X-Men 3 The Last Stand. I'm sure it won't be as bad as I remember it. It can't be as bad as I remember it. (laughs) Who knows? Thanks for listening. I will see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.